Blessed are you and our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. May we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Chapter 40. Joseph is in prison. We left off last week with him being uh, lied about, so to speak, with the um, Potiphar's wife, and now he's in prison. Verse, four, verse 1 says, And it happened after these things that the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and the baker transgressed against their master, against the king of Egypt. So uh, Joseph is in prison. He's been in prison now for about... Ten years. We're going to come back to that in a second and learn from the sources how all this transpired. But I want you to just keep that in mind, that he was in Potiphar's house for one year. At this point, he's been in prison for ten years. And he's going to be in prison for two more years, and we're going to come back to that in a second. So it says, Pharaoh was enraged at the, his two courtiers, the chamberlain of the cupbearers and the chamberlain of the bakers, and he placed them in the, in the ward of the house of the chamberlain of the butchers into the prison, the place where Yosef was confined. The chamberlain of the butchers appointed Yosef to be with them, and he attended them, and they remained in the ward of the, a period of days. The two of them dreamt a dream. Each one had his dream on the same night, each one according to the interpretation of his dream. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Yosef came to them in the morning. He saw them, and behold, they were aggrieved. And he asked Pharaoh's courtiers, who were with him in the ward of his master's house, saying, Why do you appear so downcast today? And they said to him, We dreamt a dream, but there is no interpreter for it. So Yosef said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Relate it to me, if you please. Then the chamberlain of the cupbearers recounted his dream to Yosef and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a grapevine in front of me. On the grapevine were three tendrils, and it was as though it budded. Its blossoms bloomed, and its clusters ripened in the grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup on Pharaoh's palm. Yosef said to him, This is the interpretation. The three tendrils are three days. In another three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and will restore you to your post, and you will place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, as was the former practice when you were his cupbearer. If only you would think of me with yourself when he benefits you, and you will do me a kindness, if you please, and mention to Pharaoh then, if you would, uh, then you would take me out of this building. For indeed, I was kidnapped from the place of the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing for them to have put me in the dungeon. Now, I want you to notice that he didn't say he was sold into slavery. He said he was kidnapped, which actually isn't true. He wasn't kidnapped. He was sold by his brothers into slavery. But Yosef is constantly protecting his brothers who were actually the guilty party in this whole affair. But I want you to notice Yosef's great love for his, his brethren, that he protects them. He protects them from all shame and disgrace 
when in fact none of this would be going on if it wasn't for them. He wasn't kidnapped. The Ishmaelites and the Midianites didn't go into the land of Canaan and kidnap him. In fact, there's a long backstory where they realized that he wasn't really a slave and they were concerned that Joseph was going to come and kill them. <clears throat> they were concerned about this, so that no one was going to go in there and, and take anybody. But he said, I was kidnapped. So it says, the chamberlain of the bakers saw that he had interpreted well, so he said to Joseph, <clears throat> pardon me, I, I too in my dream, behold, three wicker baskets were on my head, and the uppermost baskets were all kind of Pharaoh's food, baker's handiwork, and the birds were eating them from the baskets above my head. And Joseph responded and said, this is its interpretation. Now, hopefully we're going to get to the point where we're able to share this interpretation. But Joseph kind of cuts him off. He didn't allow him to finish the rest of his dream. And, and the reason is because Joseph had, had realized that this dream, actually, one of the interpretations we're going to learn, had to do with a negative thing towards Israel. So he cut it off. Don't speak it anymore. <clears throat> It was negative for the baker, but it was also negative for the future Israel, Israel. So it said, the three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift your head from you. Now, he told the cupbearer he's going to lift up your head. And this one, he said he's going to lift it off. And he's going to hang you on a tree. <clears throat> Birds will eat your flesh from you. Well, you want your money back from that palm reader, don't you? And it was on the third day, Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he counted the chamberlain of the cupbearers and the, and the chamberlain of the cupbearer among his servants, and he restored the chamberlain of the cupbearers to his cupbearing, and he placed the cup of Pharaoh in Pharaoh's palm, but he hanged the chamberlain of the baker, that is, he crucified him, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chamberlain of the cupbearers did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. That's unfortunate. <clears throat> so I want to share, because I mentioned that he was, he was Joseph was 17 when his brothers sold him into slavery. He was 17 when his brothers, say his brothers, his brothers sold him into slavery. And he was in Potiphar's house, for one year. Then he was in prison for 10 years. And after this episode, from the time this episode happened to the time that he was brought into Pharaoh's presence and then was elevated, was another two years. Doing the math, which all comes from the oral tradition, we arrive at a very interesting age for Yosef, who becomes the one who sits upon the throne and begins to affect the salvation of his people. He's 30 years old, which according to tradition is exactly how old Yeshua is when he begins his ministry. When he begins preaching, it is understood that Yeshua was 30 years old, which happens to be the age that a Levite would begin their ministry with Hashem in the temple. So this age of 30 is very interesting. Again, remember, as I've been saying, don't lose sight of the fact that Yosef is a type and shadow of the Messiah, Yeshua. This is very important. 
I also don't want us to lose sight of the overall spiritual picture that's playing out here. I want to share a couple of insights from Rabbi Monk, and then I'm going to read something from the Legends of the Jews. <clears throat> uh. it, says, it says here in Rabbi Monk's commentary to the end of chapter 39, it says, For Yosef, Sachar, and Zachar, prison and light, merge into one. Because it says he was thrown into prison. And the, the word for prison that's used is Beit HaSohar. So it says, note that the text reiterates at the end of the verse that he remained there in prison, which was Beit HaSohar, which literally means a house of light. The Torah continues, Hashem was with Yosef. It says, for innocent, for the innocent who suffer imprisonment, the dungeon itself can become a haven of light provided, say provided, provided that confidence in God illuminates their souls. We cannot get lost in our circumstances. We cannot get lost in how we got here. Many people in life are in a good place, but they're still hung up on how they got here. I'm in a good place right now, but boy, I tell you though, uh, uh, I, you know, we went through some tough times getting here, and I'm still mad at those people. What are you talking about? If you're in the palace, who cares how you got there? Well, it was a rough road. Well, join the club. Who, who do you know that if you, you talk, sit down and say, man, life's been kind of hard for me, they would say, oh, really? My life's been a bowl of cherries. I ain't had not no problems. That person would be beat down if they said that to you. I'm going to give you some problems. Hey, like that is a problem. Hey, you like that is a problem? How about that one? Uh. All of us have had issues. We can play the one-up game all day long, and somebody's going to win. One up us on, on hardships. Rabbi, you had hard to hardships. <laughs> Fun, please. But it says what counts, talking about the, the person who's gone through some hardships. This is what we, so many lessons about Yosef. But Yosef is not caught up on how he got there. He, he, I want you to understand something. Yosef is falsely accused of rape. I didn't go into all the forensics that Potiphar's wife went through. It's a little bit too, it's not for mixed company. But let me just say that she went through some issues, she went through some things to make it appear as if he tried to assault her. Okay? So he's been falsely accused. He's been thrown into a prison. Uh... She's visiting him in prison every day. Okay? It's a long story. I don't have time to go through the whole story. But if you read the, the oral tradition, she visits him in prison every day, and she, and she threatens him. Now, on one hand, she's like, look, if you just fulfill my desire, I'll get you out of here. And he won't do it. And then she's like, all right, fulfill my desire. I'm going to make it really worse for you. Uh, he won't do it. Fulfill my desire. I'm going to tell him to kill, he, kill you because the only reason you're so alive is I told the husband, don't. Don't kill you. But in, instead of all that, 
Yosef uh, is not, he's not paying attention to all that. He's just doing a great job. And as a result, he's, he's actually living a pretty blessed life in prison. The, uh, uh, the warden has put him in charge of everything. The warden doesn't put a guard on him. In fact, the warden, it says in one account, that he even lets him go and, and do some work in Potiphar's house because Potiphar figured out his wife was lying. But Potiphar, like Pontius Pilate, had to punish him because he didn't want to lose face. And so he was, he was, he was, it was, like, he was on like a work release program. Even the warden said, listen, you're, you're doing such a great job. I'm not going to give you the typical prison food. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to order out for you. So he ordered out from Meat Point and brought in some food for him. <laughs> but, but at no time, all this stuff is going on. Not no time did Yosef say, boy, I can't believe the way those Ishmaelites and Midianites treated me. When I get out, when I, the first chance I get, they going down. Do you know something that he never even mentions the Ishmaelites or the Midianites? He doesn't even mention Potiphar. Now, I told you the story already about how the Midianites and the Ishmaelites, when they were taking him to Egypt, that they were beating him mercilessly and slapping him and messing him up. And notice that when he, when he finally confronts his brothers, he doesn't ever mention their names. But he looks at the brothers and he says to them, now, y'all don't be scared that I'm going to come down on you because this is all God. The, the brothers could have said, well, I, I'm not, excuse me, sir, pardon me, pardon me, Joseph, um, we did sell you, but if you, really, I mean, if you really want to think about it, the Ishmaelites bought you, or the Midianites bought you, and then they sold you to the Ishmaelites. Actually, they sold you five times back and forth. But remember, we sold you, but we didn't beat you. And we didn't, like, mistreat you. And we didn't accuse you of rape and throw you into prison. That was all them. Yosef's like, didn't even care about all that. Why? Because it would never happen had y'all not sold me to begin with. So how can I be mad at them? We'll come back to that in a second. It says, what counts most of all, this is what Rabbi Monk says, what counts most of all is the personal reaction in the face of destiny. If man emerges ennobled morally and spiritually from his suffering, purified in his soul, sanctified in his life, and stronger in his faith in God, these ordeals will have fulfilled their purpose. Let me read that again because that was just too good just to read once. Notice it says their purpose. You know, like it said, it pleased God to crush him. See, what we have to understand is that the person that was brutalizing Yosef, that was all God. The brothers who hated Yosef and sold him into slavery, that was all God. It was all intended to get him to a, a place. Now, I can't sit here and tell you why it had to be God. I don't know. I'm not God. So I don't know why it had to be that way. I don't know why we had to brutalize the Messiah so bad. I don't, I don't know. 
Why? I don't know why people have to suffer like they do. I don't know why I had or you had to go through trials and tribulations in your life that you had to go through. I don't know why. And some of them I will never know. Why we had to go through that. Why we had to have that beating. Why we had to be just brutalized. There are certain people in this room, don't raise your hand, certain people online that were molested as little children. And you still deal with those scars. Many people have been through that. We don't know why we had to go through that, but that has made you, believe it or not, a better person. I'm not saying, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you should have gone through that. I'm not saying it was okay. Please don't put words in my mouth. For the love of God, all I'm saying is that made you a better person. Now, whether or not it made you a better person is your choice. That's the thing. Because here's what it says. What counts most of all is the personal reaction in the face of destiny. You have a role to play in your suffering. You can continue to be beat down or you can continue to rise up. The choice is yours. It says here, if man emerges... This is what separates people who make it through boot camp and those who don't. Everybody gets treated the same. But if you stay beaten down, they'll, they'll let you be beat down because they don't want you. But the man who gets licked up and, and stands up to take it again, that's the man they want. If man emerges ennobled morally and spiritually from his suffering, purified in his soul, sanctified in his life, and stronger in his faith in God, these ordeals will have fulfilled their purpose. Whatever may have been their cause. And his moral victory will thus have been transformed. The punishment into a chastening of love. As for Joseph, the years which he spent as a slave in Potiphar's house gave him the opportunity to raise himself to the utmost degree of his spiritual strength. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just tell you that sometimes people go through suffering. And this is, this is an idea brought down by the sages. Again, we don't know. We're just, we're just simply throwing out things that, that we know to be true in our possibilities. Sometimes people go through suffering in their life to pay for sins now so we don't pay for them later. How many of you would like to go ahead and pay for some, go ahead and pay, go ahead and pay up front for some things now through a little bit, of, little bit of hard times, a little bit of suffering, then spend the rest of your life in Gehenna. How many of you like to take that option? I like to take that option. I hope it doesn't happen. Don't get me wrong. But if, that, if that's the choice I'm given, I can go through some suffering, go through some hardships, go through some challenges, Mr. Griffin, so that you don't spend a couple of several thousand years in Gehenna. I'm like, I'm okay with that. Now I won't go sit around and cry in my beer about it. Because you know what I deserve, ladies and gentlemen? What I personally deserve? Me? Me? <laughs> Nothing. And what I might deserve is all bad. See, that's the mindset we need to be in. That's the mindset of shalom right there. We don't deserve anything. And the minute you start blaming people for 
things or saying they deserve this or that. Just God's going to remind you. This, this is why the sages say that if you want to be forgiven of your sins, forgive others. The minute you start saying, well, they, well, they, well, they, God is like, well, let me, oh, let's see, let me pull your file. Let me pull your file out here. Ooh. Whoa. Oh, I forgot about that one. Oh, I remember, I, I, remember I, I had torn up that degree, but let me go ahead and put that back together. So it says here, listen, all the Hades that Yosef went through with the Ishmaelites and Midianites beating him. Who was it that beat Yeshua, really? I mean, I know that the Jews, we, we slapped him and pulled his beard out and stuff, but who, when it came to like beating, 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 who really beat Yeshua? Romans. The Romans are the ones who beat him. The ones, they're the ones who flogged him. They're the ones who put the crown of thorns on his head. You know, we, we, we talk about the crown of thorns, but we often forget that they put the crown of thorns on his head, and then they beat him over the head with a rod while he had the crown of thorns on his head. And by the way, we're not talking about like a rose thorns. Most likely it was acacia wood thorn, which is about that long. Those suckers are probably driven way down into his skin. But you know what's interesting is that when we talk about who betrayed Yeshua, nobody ever mentions the Romans. You know why? Because the Romans would not be beating him if it wasn't for the fact that the brothers sold him. See, all comes back to the brothers. We want to spend time worried about all the people that were over here beating him in the circle of, of suffering, and we just want to pretend like that over there doesn't matter. They wouldn't have had him if it wouldn't have been for them saying, hey, y'all want to, we got one for sale over here. Who betrayed Job? Hasatan cursed me, he came in before the Lord, the Bible says. Hashem said, hey, what you doing? Wandering around the earth because I got kicked out of heaven, and this is a bad gig. And he says, oh, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> you know Job's like, uh, uh, what, uh, no, 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 no. You know, Hashem does that twice. He, he afflicts Job. And then, and then Hasatan comes back before the Lord, and the Lord says, hey, what you doing? I am roaming around the earth that you banished me to. And he says, oh, have you considered Job? <laughs> Job's like, I, but still, why? What happened to Job's life? Now, when Job got wealthy, he spent all his time worried about everything that happened to him. No, it's not what happened. So now we have Potiphar. So here, finally, he gets to Egypt. Now Potiphar summons Joseph, it says, and the youth prostrated himself before his chief. This is from the legends of the Jews. It says, the youth prostrated himself before this chief of the eunuchs, for he was third in rank of the officers of Pharaoh, and he addressed Joseph and said, are you a slave or a freeborn man? This is going to sound a whole lot like Pontius Pilate talking to Yeshua. Are you a slave or a freeborn man? And Joseph replied and said, I'm a slave. Now, Potiphar knew he was lying. 
because Potiphar, being a, a high, you know, an aristocrat, could identify an aristocrat. And Yosef said, I'm a slave. Now, Yosef, this was his opportunity to say, well, first of all, first of all, okay, this is how it went down. All right. I was my mom in this, and my dad said, go check on your brothers. And I said, you smoking crack? They hate me. But I went anyway, and there was this dude walking around the desert. I was like, what you doing here? And he's like, your, your children are down there. Okay. I went down there. They, they, they sold me. And then I was beaten, slapped, pummeled, kicked, whipped. And then I get here, and I prostrated myself before you, and now you ask me if I'm a slave. Yeah, I'm a slave. No, I'm actually not a slave. I was kidnapped. No, he says I'm a slave. He didn't bring up any of that stuff. You know why? Because he figures he's there on a divine mission. Potiphar continued to question him and said, whose slave are you? And Yosef said, I belong to the Ishmaelites. <laughs> Potiphar said, how were you made a slave? I mean, come on. And Yosef says, they bought me in the land of Canaan. But Potiphar refused to give credence to what he said, and he had him stripped and beaten. Does that sound familiar? Now listen to this. Now, remember how Pontius Pilate's wife came to him and said, I had a dream, don't mess with this guy. Remember that? All right. The wife of Potiphar, standing by the door, saw how Joseph was abused, and she sent word to her husband, your verdict is unjust, for you've punished a freeborn youth that was stolen away from his place as though he were the one who had committed a crime. You see the similarity here? At what point, I ask you, did Joseph ever... When he finally, when all this was said and done, at what point did he ever just bring all this up on a laundry list of things that happened to him that were bad and demand justice or recompense? At what point did he do that? Never. In fact, from our accounts, he treated the Egyptians fairly. He never mentions the Ishmaelites, never mentions the Midianites. The only people he blames, so to speak, are his brothers, but he blames them in the sense of, this is your fault, but don't be upset because if it weren't for you, God did all this. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be where I am today to save you. Now, don't misinterpret that to mean that what the brothers did was, I'm saying was just A-OK -okay in the USA. Obviously, it was wrong. And the sages know it was wrong, and the sages say that even today, we're still paying for betraying our brother. But we can, two things can be, like Hillel has said famously, two things can be right at the same time. It can be A, God's plan for all that to happen and work out for the best, and B, wrong. Okay? You say, well, someone said, I, I was listening to this lady, and uh, she was getting all agitated. I was watching a video. And she was getting all agitated, and she says, well, you know, my grandfather, you know, 
raped my, my mother, and she was, you know, uh, a servant in his house, and, and it was, that was wrong, and, and she was getting all agitated about that. Well, that was wrong. If that's true, that he actually raped her, that, that's wrong. But I thought, lady, you exist. And she had a good life. She was a teacher, and she had all this stuff. She had a, she had a little girl, and she was all, and I'm thinking, you know, Okay, let's go back in time. Let's, let's not have that happen. That, okay, so the, the woman would not have been violated. That would have been good. But then you wouldn't be here. Now, some people are going to misinterpret what I said, and they're going to say, the rabbi says rape is okay. I know, that's going to happen. Trust me. I, my phone's already blowing up right now. <laughs> so, rabbi, what you're saying was, when I got raped 20 years ago, it was God's will. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that we've got to look at things, how they end up. And it's interesting to me that all this is going down. And look, let me tell you a little parable to make what I'm trying to make sense here. The parable is, it's like a shopkeeper who sets up a store to sell stolen goods. And people come along and they buy the stolen goods. Some know they're stolen, some don't know. My question is, is who's more guilty? The one who set up shop or the one who are buying at the shop? You'd have to say the shopkeeper. Because if the shop didn't exist, there would be, never be any customers. This is what's going on with Yosef's brothers. So he ends up in prison, and he's minding his own, his own, his own business, and next thing you know, these people, these two men, get sent to prison. Now, why do they get sent to prison to begin with? The Midrash Rabbah in 88.1 says this, And it happened after these things that the cupbearer, the king of Egypt, and Baker transgressed against their master, against the king of Egypt. Now, the key phrase is, it happened after these things. What things? About this scandal of... Yosef supposedly trying to rape Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife is like, Potiphar was like third in line. He was like a high-level figure. So this wasn't just some little thing that happened. This is all over the nightly news. CNN is running this constantly. And everybody's been talking about it for years. MSNBC is out of their mind talking about how Yosef is a, a bad guy. So what does God do? The Midrash Shabbat brings down and says, From all my transgressions rescue me. This is an allusion to Yosef. For it is written in a verse pertaining to Yosef and Potiphar's wife. She called out to the men of her household and spoke to them and saying, Look, he brought us a Hebrew man to sport with us. He came to lie with me, but I called out in a loud scream. Thus, by accusing Yosef of adultery, she placed him in the mouths of all of them. That is, she made him a common topic of discussion and gossip. Consequently, the Holy and Blessed Be, he said, it is better that they should turn their attention to the misdeeds of one another and not turn their attention to the supposed misdeeds of this righteous man, Yosef. Thus it is written, and it happened after these things, that is, after Yosef's imprisonment, that the cupbearer and the king of Egypt and the baker transgressed against their master. So in other words, all of this happened because God wanted to get everybody's attention somewhere else. 
and off of Yosef. Now the cupbearer and the baker were thrown in the prison for a couple of different reasons. Number one, there was believed to be a conspiracy to kill the king and that these two guys allegedly wanted to do bad things to the king's daughter. They're also on a minor level, which is not so minor when, apparently when you're in that position, is that a, a fly fell into the king's cup of wine and there was a pebble baked into the bread of the baker, which, according to the king, is, showed a gross negligence. Turns out that the, turns out that the wine uh, steward was proven innocent in the conspiracy to kill the king and therefore he was released. Plus, it was said that a fly could fall into anybody's glass. It wasn't necessarily negligence. But the baker was proven to actually conspire to kill the king and since he allowed a, pe a pebble to be baked into the bread, it, that is negligence, so he was killed. But the sages bring down Okay, all that's great, but now you have these people in the prison, and what is the reason for that? And it says this in Midrash Rabbah 88.3. Pharaoh had become enraged at his servants, all in order to grant greatness to Yosef. And now I want to point out something, that here is Yosef, because we read the story now and we think, oh, yeah, okay, we see that. This, it's, that's easy for us to see, because we, we see the end of the story. We see the end of the story, but <clears throat> Yosef is going to be in prison for two more years. He tells the cupbearer, hey, when you get there and you realize that I was right and life is good for you, if you wouldn't mind putting a little word in for me, by the way, I was kidnapped. Not really, but doesn't matter. Just get me out of here. So he, does, he forgets. And it actually says that God intended for the wine bearer to forget. It says, actually, there's an interesting story in the oral Torah that says that the wine steward would wrap a string around his finger and tie it in a knot so that he would, wouldn't forget every time he had an audience with the Pharaoh that he would, he would remember Yosef. But while he was sleeping, that an angel would come and untie the knot. And therefore, he would always forget. The question becomes, why? Why? Well, there's lots of reasons for it that are given, but basically, it wasn't God's time yet. God wasn't his time yet. So here, this whole time, Yosef is, is in prison, and he's probably thinking, well, in, in fact, it, actually, the sages say that, that Yosef actually forgot about it. But it is interesting to note because Pharaoh, I mean, excuse me, Yosef didn't realize, he didn't know that that dream interpretation, he just was interpreting dreams. He had no idea that all of that was a divine setup that would lead to his ascension to the throne of Egypt two years later. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we've got to live our life and just live our life. And not get wrapped up in the circumstances and all this kind of stuff. Because we go through ebb and flows and bad things and good things. And you might be thinking, oh, this is just terrible. You know, God is saying, I'm just, this is just that part of the in the chess match where I'm arranging things. And it has to be like this for a little bit, but it's going to end up for your good. Now, I'm almost out of time, but I want to share some thoughts from Ma'am Loez on dream interpretation. Ma'am Loez has a lot to say about the interpretation of dreams. And I'm going to just kind of give some highlights. 
um, about what he has to say. Basically, this is what the Talmud says about dream interpretation. Dreams follow the mouth. That means whatever you say that they mean, that is what happens. Hopefully, y'all are taking notes. That's what the sages say about dream interpretation. This teaches us, says Imam Moez, that one must be very careful to whom he tells his dream. Since dreams follow the mouth, one should only tell them to a trusted friend. Thus, if Joseph had not told his dreams to his brothers, they would have come true much sooner. That's the mistake that Joseph made. Their jealousy gave the dream an evil eye, and they did not come true until 22 years later. Dreams, the interpretation of dreams follow the mouth. Goes on to say here in, in Mammal Wes, from this we can also gain an idea of the power of speech. One should therefore be careful not to say something that something bad should happen since it might come true. Our sages teach us, do not let the curse of an ordinary person be taken lightly. Scientifically, this might not seem to make much sense at all. How can fortune or misfortune be related to what someone says? Still, experience says that it does. The same is true of the interpretation of a dream. Sometimes one must fast because of a bad dream. If you had a bad dream and you wake up and you, you sense that it was, a, it was a portent of something bad, then what you should do, according to the sages, is you should fast. Because fasting and prayer break up an evil decree. See, this, this is flies contrary to what most people, most people think. If you had a dream, there's, that's it. That's what it's going to be. That's what's going to happen. This also teaches us very, something very important that is just going to be something that's going to help you be a, a successful in life, and that is be a positive person. Be a positive person. You see the correlation? If you're always interpreting everything negative, guess what's going to happen? Negative. You see somebody didn't come to shul in a couple of weeks. Well, they, they probably hate us. They probably lost their faith. They probably gone. No, they just on vacation. They're seeing the mouse with a mask on, and life is good. But, but instead of speaking something good, we speak something bad. We speaking that in. You thought that was a Christian thing, you know. And now, don't get crazy. Okay, don't, don't, keep, keep balance, keep balance. You know, I, I don't have time to read it, but there's a great insight from the Midrash Shabbat. If you have the Midrash Shabbat, there's a great insight on the four cups of wine on, uh, in 88.6. If you have, the, you should read the insights on the four cups of wine. But it talks about the four cups of wine. A king doesn't have less than four cups of wine at a big banquet because that would, 
not be anything remarkable, and it would not spell joy. But he doesn't have more than four cups of wine at an important banquet because he doesn't want to become a slave to the wine. It's called balance. So don't speak things into, into existence, but if somebody comes to you and says, man, I just feel kind of like I'm getting a little cold. Don't say it. Rebuke that. Don't speak it. Don't be a weirdo. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm concerned about my job, it kind of looks like they might be laying people off because some words I've been hearing on the comments. Don't say that. I rebuke that. I cast that into the pit. (laughs) Speak live. Come on now. Don't be a nutcase. Don't be a weirdo. But 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 don't walk around, don't walk around like a. Eeyore either. You know, I've got a, my throat's kind of been bothering me these last couple of days. You probably got stage four throat cancer. (laughs) No, you know, people, they're like that. My boss, he was was kind of sharp with me this morning. He's probably going to fire you. (laughs) I see that coming. You know, don't be that kind of person. Be somebody who's happy. It's going to work out. I make people mad sometimes when I say that. All this stuff is going bad, and I said, that's going to be fine. Stop saying that. Don't you see what's going on? Like, uh, yes, and it's going to be fine. How can you say it's going to be fine? The whole world is sinking around us. Our sages thus teach, do not let the curse of an ordinary person be taken lightly. So it says the angel Gabriel, oh, man, I'm out of time. Well, we'll just end it there, folks. <laughs> uh, it says the angel Gabriel oversees dreams. God warns us of future tragedies as it is written. God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Now, it goes on to say, we don't have prophets anymore, and the sages are far and few between. So it goes on to say that since there's not these prophets and these great sages, he will reveal them sometimes to just ordinary Israelites. So here's what you should do. Just a couple more things here, and I'll, I'll conclude. One should fast if he dreams about a Torah scroll or to feel in having been burned. The same is true if one dreams about the Neilah closing service on Yom Kippur. Others say that one must fast whether he dreams about Yom Kippur at all. One should also fast if he dreams that his teeth have fallen out or that beams of his house are falling. The same is true if one is reading a Torah or getting married in a dream. However, if, uh, if one sees his jaw dislocated in a dream, he should not fast since it's a good sign that his enemies are being dislocated and will fall. Now, remember, you have a dream that seems bad. Don't tell anybody about it. Dreams follow the mouth. Pray and fast. I'm not giving a rebuke to anybody. Don't don't understand what I'm saying. I'm simply sharing information that we should fast and pray because if it is a dream and you feel it's personally bad about you, like, oh, my gosh, I I had a dream, my teeth were falling out. 
just fast and pray. Hashem should give you the answer and should turn the evil, if there is an evil decree, should turn it around. That's what we should do. And, and, and I would say that there's a whole discourse here. I don't have time to get into right now. But there's a whole discourse in here from the sages about that it's even meritorious that if you have such a bad dream and it's close to the Sabbath, like let's say you had on Friday night, you had a bad dream, you can fast and pray on Shabbat, which is not normally allowed. But here's it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful sentiment that the sages bring down. They say that normally... It's not allowed. But you're fasting and praying because you had a bad dream and you think it could be bad, so you want to pray and fast. And so this is how God looks at it. Everybody on Shabbat is having a beautiful time. And everybody's rejoicing. And the angels see you and they say, everybody's rejoicing but this one person. And the angels turn to God and say, why should this one suffer when everybody is happy? Remove the evil decree that they may be joyful. Isn't that beautiful? That's the mercy of God. May we be like Yosef and may we see all of our bad sufferings as good things that God is doing for us. And remember, no matter what you're going through, it's going to turn out for the best. Baruch haba Adonai.